You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts. Hi there and welcome back. Dan and I realized that we've been hitting you pretty hard with some pretty heavy topics that tend to stir up a lot of anxiety. So today, we thought we'd talk about something more relaxing, like outdoor therapy. I mean, what could be more relaxing than some sunshine, fresh air, and nature? For this very reason, more and more mental health providers are taking therapy outside and are engaging in ecotherapy or walk and talk therapy. As you know, Dan and I are here to help you protect your practice. While outdoor therapy can be amazing, we want to make sure that you are covering your bases if you are offering this service. So probably about, I was telling Melissa before we started, probably about six months ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, uh, lives in California, and uh, we were talking about what we've been up to. And I mentioned to him that I uh, work with and, and healthcare practitioners as an attorney. And he relayed to me a story about um, his sister who has a, a practice in California. And he told me, he's like, does he, he asked me for a hypothetical. He's like, does this sound like this would be a problem? And the story he told me, he finished and I said, yes, that, that would be a problem. It's also an example of why walking to a talk therapy or outdoor therapy, um, you have to be very careful with it. The story he told me was about a therapist who, not his sister, um, but a therapist who apparently was doing outdoor therapy with a client on a park bench somewhere. Um, it was a 20-year-old college student. And they were telling the therapist about a recent beach trip he had. And I guess during the trip at the beach house, um, he was saying that someone had brought some rather not that explicit drugs, but drugs nonetheless, and that he and his friends tried it unbeknownst to them or they didn't notice was the woman who walked behind them, which he would have recognized as a mother who was a friend of the family, the mother of one of his friends, who then promptly called his mom to be like, oh, I saw a junior on the park bench talking to some random stranger about doing drugs at the beach with my son. (laughs) And as I understand it, the phone call that came next was the one that went to junior and it caused a rather big hubaloo. The the it's a funny story, but it's not a funny story as well because that's actually a breach of confidentiality. That is an example of what can go wrong. And certainly in that particular case, no one was harmed per se, as far as I know. Uh, there was no, you know, long-term consequences. But the reality is a story like that, you change a couple of those details. And a breach of confidentiality like that could have major repercussions, um, serious, serious implications. All you have to do is change it around to, you know, if this is someone who's the victim of domestic violence or something like that, or there's some sort of child abuse or, or whatever it is, you know, even if it's reportable, um, those are, this is all information that, you know, in the wrong hands could really cause um, some significant uh, harm to a client. Sure. Um, so there are some risks you have to be, be aware of if you're going to be engaging this, you know, I know, Melissa, do you currently do outdoor therapy for your practice? We are currently completely remote due to the pandemic, but in the past, we have offered a limited amount of walk and talk therapy. So 
one of the things when I'm talking to clients about it um, is, you know, I have a client contact me and say, hey, I want to do this, right? Or, hey, I've already started doing this. You know, what do I need to be doing? Preferably, I always tell clients before you start doing it, you should already have everything in place before you do it. But if, you know, I've had one or uh, two times where a client's come to me and say, hey, I'm doing this. Do I need to be doing anything else? And I'm like, yeah, there's about 10 other things you need to be doing. So let's start doing those before you do any further. What I typically tell clients is it really falls into four different categories that I've kind of categorized are my own categories about things you want to consider when you are uh, going to be doing um, outdoor therapy. You know, there are some unique things to consider. Of course, there's confidentiality breaches, there's the risk of injury, you know, there's just environmental aspects, weather, traffic, you know, external um, individuals, like you might hear over here things. Um, but the four categories I typically kind of go through with clients are as follows. Um, first is forms, okay? Informed consent paperwork. You need to have, if you don't have one already, you need to have some sort of informed consent regarding outdoor therapy. Now, if you are already giving an intake packet with informed consent to clients, that document can be within in that. However, if you are instituting an outdoor therapy program and you already have current clients and they've already signed your informed consent, it really doesn't make sense for you to give them a whole new packet. So likely what you will end up having to do is possibly have one set of informed consent documents with the uh, in, with the outdoor therapy conformed informed consent in it, and then a separate one that you might have clients do if they're already existing clients who now want to do outdoor therapy. It should have some sort of uh, detail about your policies, your fees, your scheduling. Um, it should have some sort of liability waiver, which I'm going to talk about in a couple of minutes. Again, if it's in your actual packet that you're giving to new clients, as long as it references what your fees are, what your late policies are, what your scheduling scheduling policies are, that's fine, can all be part of that. If it's a standalone document, it needs to detail every single aspect. Here's our cancellation policy. Here's our reschedule policy. Here's our fee policy. Here's everything you possibly could need to know um, if you're going to engage in outdoor therapy with us as a practice. And there are um, a lot of unique yeah. things to make sure that you're including in there. You know, most informed consent policies or not policies, but most informed consent documents do talk about risks and benefits. So that's something that you want to make sure that you include in this informed consent document, letting people be aware of all of the risks, you know, not all of them, but potential risks that could come up. You just heard Dan mention some of them. You want to mention those. I also like to include what people can do to prepare for their walk and talk session, mm -hmm. whether that's shoes or sunblock, bug spray. I like including things that they can do to prepare. Safety vest. Safety vest. Um, you want to make sure that people know where do they need to show up for walk and talk therapy or ecotherapy. Do they meet you at the office? Do they meet you at some other location? In terms of confidentiality, that's going to be another important piece depending on where you're going to be engaging in outdoor therapy. If you're walking along a trail, it wouldn't be uncommon necessarily to see other people using that trail. How are you and your client going to handle it if you see other people walking outside at this location? So you want to include that so people feel prepared. This is how we're going to handle these situations if they come up. Yeah, and I've seen in actual outdoor therapy informed consents where it talks about in terms of you know, if I run into someone the therapist knows, or if the person we run into someone you know 
typically the therapist will take the cues from the client. You know, so if the client says, hey, so-and-so, this is my therapist, they're intentionally and willingly waving it on their own. Therapist might be like, yeah, hey, nice to see you. But generally in conversations with therapists, what they've told me, and I agree with this, is that the therapist shouldn't be the one initiating. Like, hi, I'm so-and-so's therapist. That would be the worst thing you could possibly. And a lot of times it's honestly just better not to even acknowledge it. Just say, you know, if, if your client sees someone, be like, we're in the middle of a therapy session. It's not appropriate for you to be like, hey, how's it going? Let's catch up for a minute because you're paying for the time of that therapy session. So that's one thing. Number two uh, is liability and waivers. And of course, this is the big one. I'm an attorney. This is my world. But first and foremost, and I'm going to repeat this twice. Uh, number one, make sure you tell your malpractice that you are engaging in outdoor therapy. Make sure you are telling your malpractice that you are engaging in outdoor therapy. Do not let it be a surprise to them because if something happens and you call them up and say, hey, by the way, uh, I'm getting sued because I did outdoor therapy with someone and now their ex-husband who they have a restraining order against knows that they've been coming to see me about their divorce proceedings with him. It would not entirely be out of the realm of possibility that they say, well, we didn't know you were doing that type of therapy, so we are not going to cover you in terms of malpractice on that type of therapy. So always want to make sure that they know because they're covering you. And if they tell you, no, and, and that also gives them the opportunity to say to you, hey, you need to up your coverage, then you can up your coverage. But have that conversation before you engage on this. If you've already started engaging this, stop what you're doing today. Call your malpractice, the carrier, and tell them, you know, and update them. This is an area where they can also give you some guidance if they have any particular recommendations based mm -hmm. on their experience. This is an opportunity where you can take some feedback from them as well. So yep. at this point, though, you have two things that you want to be already asking yourself as we're talking here is, do I have these forms in place? Have I nope. spoken with my professional liability insurance company? Have I done these things? If I have been doing outdoor therapy, or are these things that I need to get moving on real soon? Now, the other thing is, and this is for me is a big one, is get waivers signed. No exceptions, every single instance. So is a waiver going to unilaterally protect you in worst case scenario? Maybe, maybe not. But why are you risking it, right? So... The other thing to be aware of is that you, you know, in your informed consent, someone should be waiving, say, I understand that there is a potential element of risk. Um, I'm willing to waive that. I understand I want to engage in outdoor therapy, yada, yada, yada. Um, I'm willing, I'm aware there's a potential risk of confidentiality, yada, yada. You know, I'm willing to sign this knowledge that I will not hold you liable for anything that happens, right? It's very important. These are things that an attorney can help you with. This is language that we attorneys draft a lot of. If you aren't sure what you're doing, this is the one area where, don't screw this up because <laughs> this is waving people are waving their legal rights potentially here. So this is the one area if you're going to consult with an attorney at all and you don't want to consult with an attorney on the rest of this part of this stuff, this is the one area where you should have someone, some sort of legal training looking at this for you. There is something to be aware of. And this is a really big point. And this is a broader point that affects, I think, the mental health world in general. But it's a point that's succinct here. And that is to be aware that a minor in most states, not all states, Maryland for sure, cannot enter into a contract or waive their legal rights, you know, or, or, or express, uh, waive their, their uh, liability for you. They cannot consent to a contract, that type of thing. So this is something you need to be aware of. You need to make sure you know what your state's laws are. 
in most cases, like Maryland, for example, the age of consent to mental health therapy is 16. That is changing in October to 12. But the question is, and this is a really good one that I don't think I even have the answer to yet, is can a minor who's 16 then waive their legal rights? I'm not sure they can. So you still probably will need to have a parent or guardian sign as well as the minor if you're having your client waive certain rights or you know waive uh, indemnify you essentially okay in that waiver in in your document somewhere you must have an acknowledgement of the risks you must have something that makes it clear to the client there is at least a potential for the risk to confidentiality and the clients must sign it risk of injury they must sign it this is not a here read this it's okay take it home with you no it is a take this home with you but i need a signed copy of this in your records you must get it signed yeah. And not just confidentiality, but also the other risks involved, risks of injury, tripping, falling, getting, be- getting bit by a dog or stung by a bee if you're allergic mm-hmm. to bees. Um, and so thinking about those risks that are that exist in an outdoor setting that might not exist if you were indoors in your office. And not and, only... And he- oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, and not just acknowledging those risks, but also for you as the practitioner thinking about that, do I know what I would do in that case if someone was injured while we were outside? Mm-hmm. Do I have a plan for that? Do I know what I would do? Um, do I know about any health risks that my clients have? Something as simple as a bee allergy, but could be very quite complicated. And so those are some things that you really want to be thinking through. Yeah. And that's, that's going to be lead me to my next point, which is policies. However, I want to make one point. A lot of people, when they have an office, they will have a general liability policy. And they will have their malpractice, right? The malpractice covers your what happened. It, this is how I define it. Malpractice covers what you're doing in the office, the actual therapy session. Your liability covers if I walk in your office and trip on your rug and bang my head on your table, your li- general liability covers that. Does your general liability cover therapy appointments that are held on a park bench down the street when you're not in the office? I would argue that from a legal standpoint, it's highly questionable whether your child general liability, which is designed to cover your office, extends to down the street. That is why it is so important that A, you are consulting with an attorney on this if you're drafting these, B, that you are having them waive or uh, give you and indemnify you, and they are waiving liability for you because you don't want to end up in a situation where someone trips, falls, falls in the road, gets hit by the car, gets stung by a bee, has an allergic reaction, whatever it is, and you know them try to come after your practice because, but for the fact that they were doing outdoor therapy with you, they would that wouldn't have happened. So, mm-hmm. Okay, but going to your point now about policies, you raised a really good point. You need to have policies to address every aspect of doing outdoor therapy. You know what are our policies when it comes to medical attention if needed? What are our policies for those people who are allergic to bees or other things and they're outside outdoors. You know, what type of outdoor ther- therapy are going to be held? Are we going to allow therapists to do walk and talk? Are they required to stay stationary? You know, what's the conditions? If it's storming or raining outside, are we still going to hold the appointment? You know, is this the type of thing where there's specific locations that we're requiring they can only be held in like in the yard behind the office or in the local park or we're walking on a, on a trail somewhere? What's the ground you know, what are the ground rules here for how this is going to be happen? Those are the things you need to be putting in this as well. Also, um, documentation, right? We already said this. You need to be documenting for clients. What are the potential risks here? 
You know, what are our preparations? What are our policies when it comes to safety? You know, how are you going to handle the environment outdoors? Because you're basically introducing an unpredictable element into the therapy session that you wouldn't normally have when you're sitting in a closed door office. You're sitting in your office, you're not worrying about it raining on you or thunder and lightning, right? If you're outdoor on a park bench, that becomes an issue, right? So those are things you need to be considering as well. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add on that? I do. So, and, and just knowing that there's multiple tiers here, right? Because on one hand, you need your clients to know the policies and procedures that are going to be followed that has to be clearly communicated to them. But also, if, you know, depending on your work setting, if you are a manager at an agency or if you're a group practice owner and you have employees, making sure that there is, uh, you know, that there are policies and procedures in place that employees are informed of, they know what the expectations are, that all people are following them, um, and making sure that the people at the office who are engaging in outdoor therapy know what the expectations are. So if someone's not in their office, you know where they are if they're doing outdoor therapy. Uh, And that's part of safety as well in all of this, right? If you are at an agency and you're the manager or the supervisor, or if you have a group practice, do I know where people are if they're doing outdoor therapy? Also, do we do outdoor therapy with intake appointments, right? Depending on the location that you have available to you, would that be safe to do? Would that feel safe to do? You don't know this person yet. How do people feel, you as the person who's making this decision about doing outdoor therapy with someone who is new to your practice? Maybe maybe that's not something that you do at your office just to gauge for safety. Um, And do we have anything else, not just safety in terms of injury, but is there anything else that we have in place at our office in order to make sure that the clinician who is engaging in walk and talk therapy or outdoor therapy is, is safe, right? Similar to the way that we would plan for safety in the office, right? Maybe your office being the closest Mm -hmm. one to the door, thinking about potential scenarios that could come up and how are we planning for safety for that clinician. Yeah. And one of the questions, a question that came up recently, um, it's going to vary from state to state. So, you know, please bear that in mind. In Maryland, this is a question that came up um, was, can I have a contractor do well, you know, outdoor therapy versus an employee? Is there a different consideration? And what I would say is that a, obviously with an independent contractor, they're their own business, right? However, as a practice owner, it is my book, it is always better to be hiring contractors who have their own LLC. Not all independent contractors or independent um, therapists who, who contract their work out do that. Um, my advice always to independent therapist who wants to be an independent contractor is you should have an LLC that you are doing your business under. That's between, that's up to you. But from a practice standpoint, it makes me a lot more comfortable when I know that you, if you are having an independent contractor do outdoor therapy, that the relationship that you have with them is that you have contracted with their business, that they have an LLC that they are operating under. And the reason, again, comes back to liability. Some people may say this is nitpicking. This is not going to be the problem. The practice may not be, but I always like to add as many layers of protection as you possibly can here, right? So if you can say that the this therapist has an LLC that they're working under and something happens, someone goes after the therapist, they're going to be able to go after the LLC, right? So now there's two businesses they're going to be able to go after, not individual. I just think it makes it much more clear and a safer bet. So for any of you who are listening going, 
I have no idea what you're talking about, Dan. What in the world are you talking about? <laughs> Independent contractors, employees. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm so confused. This is over my head right now. Don't worry. That's okay. We are definitely going to be talking about independent contractors and employees. Some other time, we know that that is a super hot topic with lots of questions. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about it even more than once. So for now, if you're confused or overwhelmed, like that's okay. Like It's totally okay. Do what you can do for today. Focus on the actionable steps that you can take, that you know you need to take. We'll talk about that definitely in more detail on another day. Yes, we are. That is a topic we want to tackle. But it's something just to be aware of, right? Um, The other thing to know as well is that when it comes to doing outdoor therapy, you need to make sure that your entire staff is trained on your own policies and procedures, okay? It's not enough to say, here's a form, have our clients fill this out to your therapist, whether they're contractors or employees, whoever, it doesn't matter, Right. The point is, anyone who's doing therapy, outdoor therapy for your practice, needs to understand what your policies are and needs to be abiding by those policies, needs to be abiding by the forms, making sure the clients are filling out these forms correctly. In some ways, as a practice owner, it is on you at the end of the day to make sure that that is being done as well. Yeah. I think that 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 about wraps it up for us. But I want to share a kind of anecdote that I use. I've used this before. It's not perfect, but I do think it works well. You know, as with a lot of things you do in life, there's going to be checklists, whether mental or physical, that you go through before you engage in those activities. You know, for example, driving a car, you know, when you walk out of the house, you make sure you have your wallet, your house keys, your, or your purse. You make sure the gra- your garage door open if you have one. You do not drive a car without licensure or, your, um, or insurance. You do not, you know, you get in the car, you make sure you fasten your seatbelt. You check your mirrors. You make sure there's gas in the, in the tank. You make sure that the tires aren't flat. You do, even if it's all mental, even if it's like instantaneous mental checklist you're doing, you're actually going through all these steps in your mind before you are turning the ignition and driving out of your driveway, right? In that same way, this is the type of process you need to follow when you're doing outdoor therapy, right? You need to make sure that, have I done this? Have I gotten this done? Have they signed this? You know, are my forms in place? Is my insurance in place? Have I addressed all these considerations we talked to about today? Is it a lot? Yes. But I'll tell you this, and I'm sure Melissa can speak to this too. There's a lot of benefit that could be gotten from outdoor therapy. So is it worthwhile? That's a a decision you have to make for yourself. But yes, it can be. As long as you're doing it properly, you'll be fine. You know, And, And that's the one thing. I don't want people to be scared like, this is overwhelming. I can't do this. Of course you can do this. You can absolutely do this. You just need to hit the couple of different points we talked about. Get the paperwork out of the way. Get your procedures in place. Make sure your malpractice, all that is, is taken care of. One other point I meant to add, which I want to just quickly throw it, throw in here to kind of make it even more confusing for people, is are you doing fee-for-service or insurance? Because you also want to make sure, just in case, that if you're doing an outdoor therapy and you're billing insurance, that they're going to be okay with the fact that you're bringing the appointment out of the office and in out to the outside world. Yes. Right. Make sure that that's something that, that they're willing to to reimburse you for if you if you do this bill for insurance or if you're doing fee for service, then it doesn't. Yeah. And that is important, right? Um, because some insurance companies might have an opinion on that. And that's also mm-hmm. going to dictate how do you code that particular session? What location code are we supposed to Correct. use for outdoor therapy? And I have heard yes. different things from different insurance companies years ago. Correct. One insurance company told me that they don't cover that service. 
Now that might have changed. Uh, I contacted them years ago and another one had a different opinion on how walk and talk therapy was to be done if you were going to bill that person's insurance. So you Mm -hmm. definitely want to be having conversations with insurance companies that are utilized at your office to make sure that you're, that you know, whether or not it's covered, how it should be documented, uh, maybe reviewing that contract for that company if you need to see if there's anything in there, but know that different companies, different insurance companies may take different stances on this topic. And so that's definitely it varies from state to state too. Yeah. So you definitely want to be aware of that. So anyway, that about wraps it up. I think we've hammered you over the head with this enough. But again, yeah, this that's the final point. You can do this if you want to do it. You know. So that's it for us today. We thank you again for joining us. Your takeaway today is if you are doing outdoor therapy, follow this step. Figure out what get your paperwork in order. Get your contact your malpractice. Contact the insurance companies you're paneled with. Make sure that all the T's are being crossed, your I's are being dotted, and then by all means, God willing, Godspeed to you, right? To join the conversation further, we always, of course, please do reach out to us. We do, as I always say, we do want your questions, your comments, your feedback. Um, We want it all, and we look forward to interacting with you um, online. We look forward to talking to you next episode. That's it for now. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and uh, be well. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.